Hey, Berean family, Pastor Dan here. Listen, uh, you know what? I took last week off. I had such a good time picking up my horse. I decided, you know what? I'm going to take another Sunday off and just hang low for a while, you know. Uh, and so I asked Pastor Phil to fill in at the pulpit today. You know what? You're in good hands with Pastor Phil. You already know that. Uh, so I will see you guys very soon. Looking forward to it. Uh, you know, just having some fun time. Thank you for allowing me to take a Sunday off and just kind of relax and unwind. So uh, without further ado, I want to introduce to you uh, Pastor Phil. So Pastor Phil, come on out. <laughs> I don't know how to follow that. Uh, we were to me out more than the first service this time. I don't know. I just keep getting worse. But uh, <laughs> I am Pastor Phil, as uh, Dad said. I'm the family pastor here and excited just to bring uh, the word to you this morning. If you saw the video, um, yeah, I got to help uh, lead uh, Reach Mansfield this past week along with my bro Alex Rivas up here, our student director uh, in the balcony. And, um, and a lot of you, raise your hand if you participate in Reach Mansfield. Where are you all at? I know this up in the balcony. Wow, okay, they're all up there. So if you're on the floor, a few of you down here. Yeah, give it up for these uh, students and leaders. Um, it was uh, an amazing week. Um, if you didn't know, Berean started um, this local mission trip called Reach Mansfield in 2017. Um, and it was just with high school students from Berean. And we had about 40-something students. A few of our just graduated seniors um, were rising freshmen that year. And uh, they stayed in the church over there, uh, guys on the one side, girls in the community room. And we just went into town and did service projects. Uh, throughout the day, and then served at Mega Sports Camp in the evening. And I remember towards the end of that first week, I'm thinking, man, what if like churches came together from all over Mansfield and did this together? Like, what kind of an impact could we have? I, f I felt like Mansfield would feel that. It would be like a ripple of God's grace in our community. And, uh, and I told uh, the camp this, I didn't tell first service, but you know, for some reason, 200 was a number that came to mind. What if we had 200 people doing that? And when you added up the students and the leaders who stayed at the camp and then 11 leaders that came and served on serve teams, it was exactly 200 this summer people that served our community, which was just blew my mind of how big God is, amen, and how he has something that he wants to do. So 13 churches participated, 12 of them local churches, including Crossroads and Mosaic and Heartland, and um, it was just a blessing. And if you know, if you haven't, if you want to know more about it, man, talk to a student that participated or a leader. God really moved in some powerful ways in us and through us. Uh, we did service projects throughout the day and in the evening. Man, the students uh, just uh, worshiped the Lord and heard from um, the word just preached and then went to cabin time just to say, hey, what's God doing in your heart? And so it was neat. We had like a, a tent you probably saw in the video. It was like revival hour, you know, we're in this tent packed out and just seeing God work in neat ways. Um, but I tell you what, the most powerful thing for me this week, and it was something I, I didn't expect. Um, I kind of anticipated the chaos, you know, the fact that we didn't lose a kid um, was awesome. Um, I, I lost most of my voice, though, if so, if it cracks, no, I'm not going through puberty again, I don't think, uh, but hopefully it stays with us for another 30 minutes or so. But what surprised me the most was the lead team and the unity and love that we felt. And so if you didn't know, Alex and I were part of that, uh, leading the whole week. Um, Paul and Caleb from Crossroads, they're youth guys. Alex from Mosaic and Chris from Heartland. Uh, we were the lead team. And so 
all the details kind of came back to us in some way, shape, or form. And leading the, the complexity of something like that, 16 serve teams every day, three buses, five 15-passenger vans, going out into the community over 60 different work sites uh, throughout the week. It was a bear. Like, I tell you what, I'm glad it's over. <laughs> but, you know, all those details, you know, over 160 students registering, coming in, all the details, having information, keeping them safe. There's a lot of opportunity for conflict in the midst of that, the logistics. And man, God brought us together like brothers. And the love that we felt for one another um, was a real thing. There was, you know, there was no competition, you know, small churches, bigger churches. There was no trying to outdo one another. And if there was, it was, how can I serve you? What do you need? What do you need? How can I help? And what a great picture of what the body of Christ should be like, amen? And to me, it was, it was um, maybe it shouldn't have been a surprise, but just to see, hey, we all have the same purpose in mind, the mission of our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to reach Mansfield together, and we want to lead these students in doing that. God can powerfully move in us and through us when we love in proximity, when we pursue unity, and when we live missionally. Let me say that again. God can powerfully move in us and through us when we love in proximity, when we pursue unity, and when we live missionally. And this is God's will, not just for a mission trip, a lead team on a mission trip. This is God's will for our church and every church, is that we would love in proximity, that we'd live missionally and have others in mind, and that we would pursue unity together, that we'd be unified as the body of Christ. We're going to look at Romans 12 this morning and see God's will for our community as a church. How, how do we have community together? We're in the midst of this series called Foundations of a Disciple. What does it look like for us to be disciples of Jesus Christ? How do we all get on the same page about what a disciple is, right? Um, and we've defined a disciple as this, a devoted follower of Jesus who is obeying, gathering, and going. A devoted follower of Jesus who is obeying gathering and going. And we're using a tool to help us remember this called the life in Christ triangle. And if we could throw that up right now. And you have three relationships that every person, every one of us has in our Christian life. You have that upward relationship, which is with God. And that's that devoted follower of Jesus who is obeying, right? Only you can do that. Young people, kids, students, your parents can't obey Jesus for you. Okay, and maybe they could scare you into doing the right thing right now through threatening and discipline. But at the end of the day, they can't control your thought life. They can't control your pursuit of God. Only you can draw near to God. And so you have a personal responsibility for that upward relationship. And hopefully we can encourage one another towards that and in that, right? But ultimately, there's personal responsibility for that. Then we have this inward relationship. And we say in there, I mean with other believers, with the church, the communion of the saints, us together, living life together. That is part of what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is someone who gathers. Are we gathering together? I've, I've heard people say, man, I, I, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I, I, you know, I follow Jesus. I just hate the church. Or I just, you know, I, I just kind of do my own thing. I'm over here, uh, attend sporadically. Oh, I'm not really in a small group. Yeah, I just kind of do my own thing. That is a symptom of an immature faith. 
Christians pursue community with others. We're supposed to be in fellowship with one another. And that's, that's what we're in, the part of the series we're in right now. We're unpacking what does the in look like? What does healthy fellowship and community look like with one another? And then in a few weeks, we're going to be talking about the out. What does it look like to live on mission together as a church? Does that make sense? Follow me? Isaiah did a great job introing this idea of community and the biblical command for us to be in community together. That, that it's not an option. It's not an option, church, that we live in community together, that we gather together. And in Romans 12 today, I think we're going to see not only is it necessary, but community is supposed to look like a certain thing. God has a certain will that our fellowship, that our church, that our body life looks a certain way. And so what is that? And Romans 12 is going to, I think, teach us to see what is healthy community and how do we pursue it? How do we pursue it? And I believe that what Paul is going to argue in this text is that if we want to see healthy community happen for our discipleship, our growth in the Lord, we will love in proximity, pursue unity, and live missionally. And so if you have your Bible, turn to Romans 12. We're going to look at verses 9 to 21. If you have your phone, smartphone, uh, feel free to turn there in the Bible app. I'm going to read the text right now, and then we're going to pray and ask God to speak to us. Romans 12, verses 9 to 21. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry... Feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to eat, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that our community, our church, our lives would reflect you. Lord, as disciples of Jesus Christ, would we be living in such a way that we would be helping each other towards growth into your likeness? God, community can be very hard. Lord, there are so many barriers to living life together. And so, God, I ask that by your Spirit's power that you would give us a conviction to fight for our community and our fellowship together. Lord, that we would... Put aside fear and step out in love into proximity with one another. Lord, that we would, with endurance and steadfastness, pursue unity. And God, that we would not 
do it unto an end in and of itself, but for the sake of those who are far from you, would we live missionally. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you. Um, in this chapter, chapter 12, Paul transitions. If you know the book of Romans, chapters 1 to 11 are all theological. It's like orthodoxy, what to believe, right? And in chapter 12, Paul transitions, and he goes from, this is what we should believe, and this is now how we should live. From orthodoxy to something we could call orthopraxy. What is our practice? How do we live our Christian lives? Right at the beginning of chapter 12, he says, basically, that all of life is worship. I beseech you by the mercies of God in light of the gospel that saved you, that is sanctifying you, that will one day glorify you. I, I beseech you that you would present your whole selves, your bodies, as a living sacrifice to God. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And then he, he unpacks spiritual gifts, and he says, God's given every person in the church, every one of you has a gift given by the Spirit for the edification of the body. Each of us has a role to play. I said it last week, Christianity is not a spectator sport. You need to be in a position and functioning in that role for the betterment of the body. No one has all the gifts and can be just, I'm over here, I'm just chilling, yeah, I'm good. I can edify myself, I can encourage myself, I can help myself. No, we need one another. We need one another. Then Paul transitions in the last part of chapter 12, which I just read, and he describes what should Christian community look like? And I believe he's describing the adequate environment for discipleship to occur. Okay, because disciple doesn't just happen by accident. It takes intentionality, and it takes a culture in a community to make disciples. And I believe he's describing what that looks like here. And I believe the first thing that he points us to is that we're called to love in proximity. Love in proximity. Look at verse 9. It says this, let love be genuine. And then he transitions and says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. It's interesting how he kind of just jumps into the good and evil, and you kind of could take those statements separately, but I think they're connected, right? Paul is following a thought, and he says, let love be genuine. You ever fake your love for somebody? You know, that coworker is like, hey, good morning. You're like, good morning. I hate you. <laughs> you know? And really, if you're honest with them, if really what you were thinking came out is, I wish I didn't run into you at Kroger. I wish I hadn't seen you there. Or, you know, getting through that Thanksgiving dinner, you're just like, I'm just going to make it. I can just make it. Just, Lord, get me to the apple pie, please, without some conflict. And everyone's smiling and acting like they're best friends. We can love in a way that's inauthentic, can't we? And he says that's not how it should be in the church. We should love one another from an authentic heart. You know, I, I think in the church um, that Paul was writing to as well in Rome, I think there was some preferential treatment going on. I think those who maybe it was more convenient to have a relationship with, they were showing a lot of love towards. Hey, how can I serve you? Yeah, I know you have your own yacht and, uh, you know, you have a vacation home in, in Florida. Yeah, hey, you want to be my small group? I'd love to connect with you. Or maybe you're in need of a job, and so you find the, an employer in the church. You're like, oh, hey, let's be best friends. Great to see you. And then we find other people that are less convenient, maybe harder to love. And we, we act like, oh, I'm going to restrict my love over here when it benefits me. You know, that ceases to become love when it's just about us. 
See, I, I think the opposite of love is selfishness or self-centeredness. It's not hate. It's when you go into a relationship expecting to get something out of it. I want to return for my love. And he says, no, let your love be genuine. Don't, don't have a distorted love that is all about what you can get out of a relationship. You know, uh, years ago when I was living in Virginia, we were at Target, and we, our kids were little. They were, I think uh, Asher was just a baby. And we were just walking through Target, probably shopping for more diapers, which is what you're always shopping for when you have babies. And uh, this guy walks up, and it's like really nice. And he's like, hey, how you doing? How old are your kids? And, you know, he's interested, and, and he's asking questions. Like, man, this guy's really nice. He's like, hey, are you guys by chance Christians? It just seems like you're, and I'm like, yeah, we are. No way. What church do you go to? We're just talking with him. He's like, oh, yeah, we have these, we have kids as well. We should get together and do a play date or something sometime. And we're like, hey, that sounds awesome. This guy's great. And, um, you know, so we connected, I think, on Facebook or something real fast. He messaged me that evening, and he says, hey, great meeting you. Hope we can hang out. Oh, I wanted to let you know about a business opportunity that I have. <laughs> really? Really? Come on. It's just like, and you know, he wanted me to come to this thing. And it was just like immediately, all that affection that he showed, all that interest in me, it just blew away like a fog in the morning, right? All of that was to get to this business opportunity. But we can be like that too, if we're honest, you know? It's about what we can get out of someone, about what we can, how we can use somebody, or, or, you know, maybe it's, you know, it's not about what we can serve and how we can give. That is not how it should be. So I, I think a little bit that might be what he's talking about when he says, you know, abhor what's evil, love what is good. It's like, let your love be genuine. But I, I think he's also saying, love doesn't let sin stay in the camp. You know, he, he really juxtaposes um, these two ideas about love, let love be genuine, and then love one another with brotherly affection with this statement about good and evil. He's like, love doesn't let sin stay in the camp. And man, we can get really good, especially in the church, about overlooking sin, but really allowing people to continue to live in sin, or avoiding people, and not telling them the truth maybe they need to hear. And that always needs to be in a context of relationship, hopefully over coffee and not text, you know, <laughs> Hey, by the way, you're a horrible person and you should repent. Never seen that work personally. But, you know, in a context of a relationship where you're investing in them and say, hey, man, I've seen this in your life. Tell me about this. I've seen this in your marriage. What's going on there? Love speaks the truth, right? Speak the truth in love. You know, in our culture, we're all about, like, don't hurt someone's feelings. And I've known people who've left a church because of one thing someone said. But are we willing to both give hard words at times in love, but also receive those. What does Proverbs say? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And if you've got voices that are only telling you positive things all the time and never calling you out on maybe some of the issues in your life, you probably need to get some friends who really love you. And we need to welcome a community, a culture where we're willing to speak the truth in love. Do we do that? Are we, are, are, we, are we like that as a people? You know, Reach Mansfield, as many of the great things are, that happened and just all the impact that we had, one of the most difficult parts of the week where we had to send four students home. They made some choices during free time. They just went off alone where they shouldn't have been, just up to some mischief, and I'm thankful it wasn't worse. And uh, they were from three different churches, and thankfully none of them were from Berean, so I was like, yes, you know. <laughs> 
probably shouldn't have said that because it's online. But, you know, I was like, ours just probably didn't get caught. You know, that's probably the truth. But uh, we got together those leaders from those different churches, and, and we, you know, figured out, tried to figure out what happened, met with those students, and we just got together and we prayed. We said, Lord, we need your wisdom. And talk about a moment where the enemy could have worked. You have leaders from different churches, and some of their students were involved in some mischief in different ways. And it was just a grace of God that we were brought to uh, a unity and a consensus around a decision, and we sent them home. And we were able to share with the whole camp. God is not just calling us to raise the bar in terms of service. God wants us to raise the bar in terms of holiness. God doesn't just care about what we do. He cares about, he cares about who we are and how we live. And it's so important. You can't separate the two. Love doesn't tolerate sin in the camp. And, and what's neat is already two of those students have had really transformative and open conversations with their youth leader since then. So God is even working in their lives. And, and who knows what seeing that could have done in some of the students who were watching life to say, hey, you know what? There are consequences for sin. And so that's hard. That's where it gets messy, right? But we need to, we need to show love in proximity. And when we're, when we're living life on life, sometimes that stuff comes out, doesn't it? Sometimes the hard stuff comes out. And it, it, needs, to, it needs to flow. Our love needs to flow out of a love for God. Look at verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. See, love for others flows out of a love for God. It has to. You can't pour out what you haven't been filled up with. You need to encounter the God of the universe and his love in order to love others, especially in the midst of the mess, right? Because people are kind of like cactuses or cacti. You know, the closer you get, the more likely you are to get pricked. We are like that. All of us are like that. But when we lean in and we have God's love working in us, we can forgive, we can forbear, we can reconcile. John 13, 35, by this all men will know you're my disciples. How, is, how are we marked? By your love for one another. When we are following Jesus as our closeness to Christ abounds, our love for one another thrives. First John says similarly, right? How can you hate your brother whom you have seen and still love God whom you haven't seen? So we need to love one another, and that love needs to flow out of our love for God and his love in us. When we realize how much we've been forgiven by God through Christ, we start to forgive others for that thing maybe that they said that maybe was a little over the top, for that criticism, for, for that treatment, for being ignored or not invited. Whatever it be, you, you, you become filled with God's grace because you realize I was in need, and God gave it to me, and I can now impart grace to others. You could serve one another in love, right? Because you know that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and give his life as a ransom for many. And so I can give partiality to your preference or to your need, because I realize I've been the recipient of, by the God of the universe, the Son of God who came and served me by laying down his life for me. Can't I do the same? Can't I be like my master and be a servant to one another. Our love needs to flow out of our zeal for God, our being fervent in the Spirit. Remember, what's the first fruit of the Spirit? Love. Right? If God is in us, man, love will come out. It will abound. 
But it's not just love. It's not just this distant affection for each other. Hey, great to see you. Oh, I love you, man. Yeah, what's up, girl? Yeah. There's a proximity to it. There's a closeness. Look at, look at verse 12. He says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Remember, he's talking about their love for one another. And he's not just saying, yeah, when you read that so quickly, like, yeah, I need to rejoice. I need to be patient. I need to pray. He's talking to a group of people. Be praying with one another. Rejoice together. Be patient with one another in the midst of struggle, okay? You know, you think a week with a bunch of teenagers together at a camp, you think there needs to be some need for patience at times. In the church, you know, there needs to, is there a need to be patient with one another sometimes? I need it. You know, please, be, we need it as pastors. Be patient with us as we seek to lead. But we need to be patient with one another. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We're living life together. We're going through the hard stuff and the good stuff together. It's love in proximity. There needs to be a closeness. Look at verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Are you close enough that you know when someone has need? When's the last time someone told you, hey, I don't know if we can afford this bill? Or, hey, I don't know how we're going to get him to that practice. You know, instead of just saying, oh, man, that stinks. Yeah, you're too busy. Or, oh, I hope God provides, brother. Instead, you say, I've got you. I've got you. We have to love and proximity. We're, we're willing to meet each other's needs as we have needs. We're willing to invite each other into our home. Look at verse 13. Seek to show hospitality. Again, it's love and proximity, not from afar. We're saying, hey, I want you in my home. I want to do life with you. Um, the, the, the hard stuff and the good stuff, the, the rejoicing and the suffering, we're going to do this together. God wants us to have a community where we are loving in proximity. You know, some might say, oh, it's easy to love from a distance. But is that really love if we're not being known? Are we really loving one another if we're not willing to be close to one another? You know, maybe you're watching online today and this is your wake-up call. And you need to make an effort to be with a group. And maybe on Sunday, maybe it's not Sundays, but you need a community to live life with. Maybe you're sitting in the room today, but you're alone. Maybe God's calling you to step out. Let it start with you, all right? And you can say, oh, I've tried. Try again. Try again. Talk to your pastors. We want to connect you into a community where you can love in proximity. You know, we, we want to help you connect. It's not just about you. You know, I, I, got to, I get to brag on Breen a little bit because I think you guys demonstrated this love and proximity to my family this week. Um, so knowing I was going to be gone the whole week, um, one of the things Sarah said before I left was, um, who's going to make me coffee? I'm going to have to make it for myself. Because I brew her coffee every morning, and she looks forward to that. And so I, I heard that, and I was like, took me a few days. I was like, oh, what could I do? Oh, and I asked a bunch of ladies in the church. I said, hey, would you bring, could you guys each take a day and bring Sarah a coffee in the morning? And five ladies signed up to do that uh, right away, which was just a huge blessing. And I didn't tell Sarah about it, and so she was surprised on Monday. She's like, whoa, okay. And, and uh, she was just so blessed. Uh, another family um, took our kids on Wednesday night for a movie night and just gave her a moment to breathe. If you know, I have three boys, and they're all hyperactive like me. So, you know, she needed just a minute, and it was like, that was just such a gift. Two families invited her and the kids over to swim. 
Um, and it was just such a blessing. And that's love and proximity. That's doing life together. And I tell you what, if you want to keep your pastors around for a while, man, you love them like that. Why would we ever leave? So I want to thank you. Like that is, that's what it's about. And if you don't have people that you can ask for help like that, lean in. We need to be a family together. We need to be a family as a church. And he says, right, brotherly affection for each other. It's like we're family. And you know, that's, that's who you call when you're in trouble. Are we like that as a church? Are we family? We need to love in proximity. It's not always easy. It's not always easy. And often what we find, and this leads to the second point, is when we're in proximity seeking to love one another, this tough stuff comes out. And that's why the second thing, we need to pursue unity. Because when we're in proximity, man, conflict happens. We see the hard things, the difficult things, the challenges we have to overcome. There's adversity. The enemy doesn't want us to be united in love around one another in the gospel, does he? And so hard things come out. We need to pursue unity. Look at verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. And then 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Do you hear that? How tough that is? When someone wrongs you, is my, my first thought isn't like, hey, how can I honor that person that slandered me? That is not where my mind goes naturally, right? It's like, that's a hard thing to honor people, even those who do evil to us. And it says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And you might say, hey, 90% of this problem is them. Well, have you taken care of your 10%? Have you taken that one step that you need to make, that one thing that you could have done? And just assume that there's 10% because there probably is. What if, and what if everyone assumed, what if each of us assumed when there's conflict that we were part of the problem? Do you think we'd be more united as a church, as a family, in our marriages, in our relationships? God wants us to be united, to pursue unity. You see, if unity is not pursued, disunity will almost always result. If unity is not pursued, disunity will almost always result. It's like we default towards disunity and hurt and pulling away from one another. There's a reason people change churches every five to seven years. Because as soon as you start to get a little close, a little closer, or you get a little hurt, a little pushed aside, hey, grass looks greener over there. Might go check it out. And then you go through that honeymoon stage. Oh, these people are all so nice. They're smiling at me. They love me. All oh, those old people in my old church, they hated me. And then, and then you realize a few years later, you're back in the same place. Pursuing unity is hard. It is difficult. See, because as we pursue proximity, what it happens is it's like going into a house when you're invited over. You know, and the living room is so nice. And uh, the dining room is so clean. Oh, it looks great. And then you go down the hall to use the bathroom and go in the wrong room. And you go in that room that wasn't like prepared. It's just like they threw everything in there that was everywhere else. And you're just like, whoa, whoa, I'm sorry. Like, don't, don't go in there. Ever have that happen? Yeah, I think I have. So, yeah. <laughs> but when we have that proximity, when we're seeking to be close to one another, sometimes we see a little, it gets a little messy, right? And so we need to pursue unity. We need to pursue unity. We need to seek to honor one another, even when we're hurt. How do you honor someone even when you're hurt? How do you forbear when, when you feel sinned against? 
How do you, uh, how do you pursue that? How do you bring that to light and talk about it? Bring someone else along if it's not going well? Say, hey, man, we need to be united together. We need to be united. It was so, it was, uh, it's providential this morning. I had a brother come up and say, hey, man, um, I came across too hard with that one text that I sent you the other week. And, and, I, and I admit it, I, I, was, I was too defensive. And I was like, man, if we could just talk about things when that happens, wouldn't we have so much more unity and community? And wouldn't discipleship just result from that as we work through our own sinfulness, our own selfishness? Wouldn't we all be growing more in the likeness of Christ? So we need to pursue unity. You know, a, a great tool for this that I've, I've found is choosing trust over suspicion. Have you heard that? Trust over suspicion. You see, when, when I do something uh, maybe that's a little off, I judge myself by my intentions. But when you do something that bothers me, I judge you by your actions. You're a horrible person. <laughs> How dare you do that? How dare you say that, you know? But what if we flipped that and we assumed the best intention of everyone who interacted with us? What if we assumed that they didn't mean it that way? They didn't mean to leave me out. They didn't mean to say that. Man, that is how we would have such a unity in our church if we really, really pursued that. Why are we so quick to take an offense? I want to ask you, are you the reason reconciliation is not happening in a relationship? And even if there's that 10%, take that step. Maybe that's a text you send today. Maybe it's a call. Maybe it's just saying hi to someone and try, instead of trying to avoid them at Kroger. Whatever it be, lean in. If you find a perfect friendship, you know, something's weird. Okay, something's hidden, all right? And you find the perfect church, don't go. You'll ruin it, all right? We all bring our own mess and our sin into relationships, into our families. Let's learn to pursue unity in the midst of that, unity around Christ. Amen? Amen. Lastly, we're supposed to love in proximity, pursue unity. Lastly, we need to live missionally. We need to live missionally. Look at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Verse 20 says this, to the contrary of like um, taking revenge on people who hurt you or persecute you, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I don't want to steal Lentrell's thunder. Can you just be talking about what community looks like on mission next week? Like, what does it mean for us to live missionally as a community? But right here we see, as we love in proximity and as we pursue unity, We've got to be about God's mission. You don't separate evangelism, gospel proclamation from discipleship growing in his grace. They're one and the same. And what I think we find is that the mission unifies us. One of the reasons I think Reach Mansfield and our lead team was so unified in the midst of a week of chaos and craziness and stress was because we knew what the mission was. We knew why we were there. We are there to empower students to be a salt and light in the community of Mansfield. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about our churches individually. It was about us together accomplishing that for the glory of God. And it brought us together in unity. The same church as we realize that God's purpose for us isn't just this building, isn't this church, Berean Baptist Church. It's not, it is that his name be glorified in all the earth. We will be unified. We will be brought together. One author said it like this, when we aimed at community, 
We got neither community nor mission. But when we aimed at mission in community, it, community almost always happened. It's, it's the difference between a cruise ship and a battleship. Camaraderie and a brotherhood on a battleship almost always happens. Why? Out of necessity. Because we realize we're in war. The enemy is clear. It's not you. You're not my enemy. The enemy is out there seeking to send people to hell, to deceive our children and others and send them to hell, away from God. And God has called us on the same mission. And so we seek to overcome evil with good. You know, I think one of the powerful things about Reach Mansfield is that it demonstrates to our community that the church can unite around a single message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus saves from sin. And that the reason a bunch of students would give a week of their summer to serve is because Jesus changes people. It was neat. The camp staff, when I talked to them at Camp Odioka where we stayed, they said, we'll take a serve team over a retreat team or retreat group any day. Because serve teams or mission teams, they come with a mission in mind, a service in mind, and, and they just, they want to help. They had a, a different group the week before, and, and they were complaining about the meals. A pastor chewed them out because there wasn't enough food at one meal. And they said our group was like cleaning up after the meal, wiping down the tables. Their staff was looking for things to do. Because our group was on mission to serve. And you see, too often in the church, we can think that our gatherings and the entity of the institutional church is about me. It's about getting a good sermon. It's about having an experience in worship. It's about having the right programs and childcare so that I can have a good time. And when that becomes about us, you will be discontent. And what God is calling us to is to say, hey, we're on mission together for the glory of God. That the nations might hear the name of Jesus. When we keep our eye on that ball, everything changes, and I think community will result because we'll realize I'm standing next to a fellow soldier on mission for the Lord. I can put up with a little bit of inconvenience. A community that lives with purpose, that lives missionally, loves in proximity and pursues unity will bring glory to God, and I believe will result in us all together and individually growing into the likeness of Christ. So as we close, I'm going to invite the band out. But I want to ask you, where are you weakest in your life? Are you loving in proximity? Maybe you're someone who's been loving from a distance, loving from afar. And God today is calling you to step out into closer proximity with others. Are you pursuing unity? Could you be the reason reconciliation is not happening with a brother or a sister, maybe someone in your family? I talked to a dad in between services who said um, they had a conflict in their family this morning. And I was like, pursue unity. You know, fight for, fight for unity. If we don't fight for it, disunity will result. We do have an enemy and he seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. Maybe it's starts with your family. Maybe your family needs to get down on knees and pray and ask God to unite you together. Maybe your family needs to say, hey, we haven't been living missionally. 
We've been acting like, you know, church almost is a, a club that we're a part of instead of a sending agent that we would be sent into our neighborhood, into our schools. How can we as a family reach those people that we know who are far from Jesus? Let us be a church that loves in proximity, that pursues unity, and that lives missionally. Amen? Would you stand and pray with me? Father God, this call that you have for us as a, as a people of God to live in community where we are as disciples of Jesus, loving in proximity, pursuing unity, living missionally, it, it's impossible apart from you. It's impossible apart from you. And so Lord, I ask that your spirit would empower your people to be who you've called us to be. Lord, as we seek to love one another in proximity, as we invite each other into one another's homes, as we deal through our, our own sin and our selfishness, would you fill us with your grace for one another? Would we forgive? Would we forbear? Would we seek and pursue unity at all costs? Would we see ourselves as family? Would we act like family and seek to serve? Lord, help us not to forget our mission. Lord, help us not to forget that there are people across the street, across town, in this world who've never heard your name and do not know how to have a right relationship with the God of the universe. And so God, would you compel us to live missionally as a people? Not for Berean's name, not for any pastor's name, but that your name may be glorified to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.